Amen and amen. I hope you sense the presence of the Lord in this place today. Amen. We are grateful for him being with us, and we stand in awe of him, and we are grateful for who he is. Today we're looking at humanity, God's crown and creation. We're in the midst of a series, this is just the second week in the series, entitled Awe. And so last week we talked about the beginning, thinking about how God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so I hope that this week you have been in awe of God's excellent creation as you have seen the sunrise, the sunset, and various sundry of things uh, that you have seen or smelt or heard uh, this week to see the the awe of God. Well, today we're going to look at humanity, God's crowning creation. For he will see here today that he creates the first man and woman. Now look, when we consider our beginnings as mankind, and when we consider our very own beginnings, as well as our life that we have as humans, friends, we have to stand back and be in awe of our Creator, God. Now we're going to look at some scriptures this morning, and we're going to see the acts of God surrounding the human race, but also the acts of God surrounding each of us individually as well. And so as we walk away from here today, may we walk away in awe of the creativity, the care, and the compassion of the one true living God. Amen? Well, I'm going to read for us from the first chapter of the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 26 through 28, and then we're going to move over to chapter 2, pick up verse 7, and then skip down to verse 18 and read through verses 23. And so in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you would please stand as I read those verses to us today. Genesis 1, starting verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, let's skip over to chapter 2, verse 7. It tells us here, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Skip down to verse 18, and it tells us, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of the word of God. 
We thank you, O God, for the truth that it is. We thank you, O Lord, for speaking to us and and guiding us through it and helping us to learn more about who you are and to understand, Lord, that we look at these passages of Scripture as the rest of the Scripture as well, and we have to, Lord, stand back and be in awe of you. Lord, there is no God like you. You are the one true living God. There is no other. You are holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. And you have power to do great and mighty things exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So, Father, we pray that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out your blessings upon us this hour, that we would sense your presence in this place. We pray, Father, that if there are those here today who do not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their lives, that this would be that time of salvation. But also, Father, for those of us who do know you, may we stand in awe once again of your great creation as the creating God that you are. And Lord, I pray that you'd have your way all across this worship center in every heart and in every life. And we pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as you look at the outline in your bulletin today, uh, you might um, get ready to have a little heart attack when you see all those lines there. But Don't worry, we're going to get through. It's going to be all right. Trust me, it's going to be okay. Amen? It's going to be all right. But the first thing that we want to see here as we look at this passage of Scripture is we want to be in awe of God's forming us, of God's forming us. As we think about God forming us, we have to acknowledge at the very get-go that God was very much involved in making mankind. He was very much involved in making us individually. Well, how much is very much? Well, as a matter of fact, friends, he did it all. Amen? He did it all. We stand in awe of a creator who did it all. And we see the first thing here as we think about being in awe of God's forming us, we see first sub-point there, the creation, forming us as the creation. If you look back in chapter 1 again in verse 27... We see there that it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The word there for create in the Hebrew is bachra. Bachra. It means, that word, it means to create, but that word is reserved only for God. Only God could create. And so here we see the general overview here in chapter 1, that it is God who created man and, and that we are created in his image and in his likeness. In verse 2, I mean in chapter 2, we get into more details of what that looks like. But for here, we see that we're created in the image and the likeness of God. Now, there's a lot of debate among scholars today and, and, and really for a long time in the commentaries about what that really means. And the bottom line is, nobody really knows what that means. But here's just a couple of little things about what it means, what we think that it means. It could possibly mean. Some say that it think about being in, created in the image of God. Some say that it's the qualities that man possesses like God, like having abstract thinking, like having an under, being able to understand, being a, have the ability to love, to have the ability to worship. Whereas some say that it's the qualities that man possesses in the image of God. Others say the image is what humans are, that we're representatives of God on the earth. Now, either way, whatever the case may be, friends, here, listen, humanity, what we know from Scripture, hum, humanity was created different from all of the rest of creation. 
We're made uniquely like God somehow, some way, with a unique responsibility and with a unique love that he has for us. We are uniquely given, created. And so we find here that we're in his image and his likeness. Now, as we think now to chapter 2, verse 7, there are more details on how he formed us. When you look at chapter 2 and verse 7, it tells us in the first part of that verse, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He formed man of the dust of the ground. Now, I couldn't help but to think about a little story that I'd heard a long time ago about a little boy who was sitting in a Sunday school class listening to his teacher, and his teacher was describing how in the beginning of creation that God made mankind from the dust of the earth and that how after death our bodies also decompose and we return to the dust. Well, the little boy turned to his friend who was sitting next to him, and he said, you know what? I think I got somebody under my bed at home, and I can't tell whether he's coming or whether he's going. Well, friends, as we think about that, you know, the dust actually is more than just what we think about dust. Dust literally here means soil or clay. That man here is formed by God of the soil or clay of the ground. Now, preacher, that's just crazy. Yeah, that's just it's ridiculous that we'd be made from soil, that he'd, he'd create this, this man from the, the clay of the earth. Well, friends, before you get too high and mighty, let me just let you know something. Science has proven that the substance of the human flesh and bones consists of the very same elements of the earth. Those elements that form the crust of the earth and those elements that form the limestone that's deep within the earth. Now, how would Moses have known this as he wrote Genesis Before the science of learning the basic components of our bodies could have been known to Moses, he tells us that we're from the earth, that God made us from the dust of the earth. Well, I'll tell you how we can know that Moses did that. It's only by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guided him in that, friends, and we can know that the word of God is true. Before Moses had any inkling about the science of what it was. He was able to say that we're from the dust of the ground. We're from the earth. And yet that's true. Now, does it tell us here that we're from the God-formed man of the dust of the ground, but it tells us another key word in that part is that he formed man. Whereas if you remember last week when we talked about the excellence of God, the awesome power, the absolute authority of God as the creator, that God spoke and it was so. God spoke, and it was so. God spoke, and it was so. You remember that. And now we find that he's not speaking here in this verse, but rather it says that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. You see, that word formed sees God as the potter. He is the potter who is forming and fashioning the clay into man. The word there for form indicates a closeness, a special care as he is forming and fashioning the man. Now, just think about it. You think about this human body that our amazing creator has fashioned. I was talking to folks after uh, the service, uh, the earlier service, and we oftentimes take our bodies for granted. What is happening as we're just sitting here? We've been, we've been breathing. Our blood has been flowing. All this has just been taking place and we don't even think about it. But just think about the human body. The human brain itself has 10 billion, with a B, nerve cells interacting in coordination to allow us to function as we do. Your eyes have about 100 million receptor cells in each retina. 
which also contains four other layers of nerve cells. This system makes billions of calculations per second traveling through your optic nerve to the brain, which has more than a dozen separate vision centers to process it. Your skin, your skin has more than 2 million tiny sweat glands, about 3,000 per square inch to regulate your temperature. Your heart beats at an average of 75 times per minute. 40, that's 40 million times per year and two and a half billion times in 70 years. Now get this. It pumps about 3,000 gallons of blood per day. And this pump that's in our chest makes your blood travel 168 million miles a day. No wonder we're so tired at the end of the day. Amen? That 168 million miles a day is equivalent to 6,720 times around the world. Friends, your body is supported by more than 200 finely designed bones connected to more than 500 muscles, many tendons and ligaments. Some muscles that we have respond to your conscious will, whereas some react automatically. Your digestive system that probably is probably beginning to sound a little grumbly right about now, it contains about 35 million glands that secrete juices to digest your food and sustain your life. And I haven't even mentioned your lungs, your other senses like hearing and taste and smell and touch with your various glands, your immune system, and much, much more. And here's the deal. And it all works together. Friends, you have to step back and say, wow, at the awe of God and His creating us. Amen? What a God we serve and what He has done. God formed, listen, God formed the marvelous human body as a potter forms a clay vessel. And what you need to understand also is that this creation is a deliberate creation. It did not happen by chance. God created us, uniquely made with a function and ability by Creator God. So we are to be in awe of God's forming us as the creation, but also we see secondly in the second subpoint there of the transformation. The transformation. If you look at the last part of chapter of chapter two, verse seven, it says, Well, go go back a little bit. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now you just think about that for just a moment. Here is this lifeless body that God, the creator, has just formed out of clay. And here is this body. The lungs are not working. The heart is not pumping. There is no movement at all. He, this body that God has, has formed and fashioned has all the needed breathing apparatus. It has all the mechanisms are in place. It has all the bones and all the organs. But this body is lifeless. But then God. God breathes into this man the breath of life. And what happens is called transformation. He becomes a person. This body that has been created by God has become now a person. The lungs here are filled with air and they begin to breathe. The heart begins to pump and the blood flows and he moves and he is alive. God, the creator, has brought life to the man. Wow. 
the awe of God. Amen? The awe of God that he is able to do this. And we believe that God has done this. And friends, listen. And if you can believe that God can create man, forming him from the ground, from the dust of the earth, and breathe life in him, and he comes to life, then understand something. Then we can also believe that it was nothing for Jesus, our creator, who walked on the earth to also speak the word, and Lazarus, who'd been dead for four days, to be raised from the dead. It's nothing for us to believe that Jesus could take Jairus' daughter, who had died by the hand, and raise her up from the dead. It's nothing for us to also believe that Jesus could touch the coffin of the widow's son and speak, and that child was raised from the dead. And also, we can believe that Jesus himself could be raised from the death himself because he is God, and he is life, and he gives life. Amen? And so, as the giver of life, Since he is the giver of life, then we also understand that all life is a gift from God. And all life is precious to God. We're to be in awe of God's forming us and is the creation. We see the creation and we see the transformation. And then the third sub-point, we see the continuation. The continuation. He says, listen, he, God created and formed humanity in the Garden of Eden. But we need to also understand that he continues to form life in the womb of our mothers. And moms, he continues to, to form life. If you go to that passage of Scripture in Psalm 139, the very familiar passage, Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. It says here, the psalmist writes, for you formed, there's that word again, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. You see, friends, he continues to form people. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, I couldn't help to also think about a little story about a little girl who climbed up in the lap of her great-grandmother. And as she was looking at her great-grandmother, she was looking at her, her white hair and she was looking at all the wrinkles that are on her face. And then she looked and she saw Grandma. And she had this kind of flabby arm underneath here. And, and she looked at her Grandma and she said, Grandma, did God make you? And she said, well, yes, honey, he did. And she said, well, Grandma, did, did God make me? And she said, well, yes. Well, the little girl said, Grandma, don't you think he's doing a better job now than he used to? Well, I don't know about all that, but i tell you what we do know is that our God is still doing an awesome job of creating people. Amen? Forming people. He's still doing that. In Psalm 139, we see that we are formed in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, made by the hand of God. And that tells us that God is indeed involved in the formation of every life, of all life. The process that takes place in the womb cannot be fully explained scientifically. But what we do know is that God prescribes and custom designs each and every individual and that there is no one who is the same. We are carefully crafted by our Creator. Friends, we are not an accident by genetics, and we are not a fluke of nature. You are uniquely formed by God. You are a unique creation. As a matter of fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you are unique. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I heard how some of you said that, too. Boy, you are really unique. You know, you, I'm glad nobody else is like you. You are unique. But here's the bottom line, friends. Look, God has made you, you. Who you are, God has made you. God has made you uniquely you. In Psalm 119, verse 73, it tells us in this verse, your hands have made me and fashioned me. We tend to focus on the being made and fashioned, but I think another part of that to be focused on is that you've made me and you fashioned me. Amen? He has done that to each one, and we're all unique. We're all different. We all know that our fingerprints, if you look down at your hands right now, you will see your fingerprints, unless they've all been worn off, sort of like mine have over age. But if you look at your fingerprints, you know that they're different than anybody else's. There's the, the loops, the arches, the whirls that are taking place that, that match no one else in the world. Those are uniquely yours. God created you completely different so that those are just your fingerprints. But it's not just our fingerprints. As I was doing some research this week, I found that not only our fingerprints are different, but our ears are different as well. That our ears have the, the unique curves and ridges, especially on the rim of the ear. That is uniquely yours. Not only that, but the iris of the eye, which is the color part of your eye. The structural pattern that's in your eye is uniquely yours. But there's another thing that I found out this week that I hadn't really thought of, but it makes sense to me, is that, that I think probably changes as we get older, but it's still uniquely you, and that is that our walk, the walk that you have is uniquely you. How we walk, if we drag a foot or drag both of our feet, don't pick our feet up, or if we move our body along a certain way, it's how we walk, and, and uh, it's uniquely ours. I couldn't help but to also think about when I was, uh, first went to Midway Baptist back in 1997, you almost have to see the church to sort of picture it. But before we built on uh, to the back uh, of the church, uh, uh, Sunday school classes and, and uh, fellowship hall, we had just a little, little fellowship hall and a hallway that ran down, down the hall. And my office was at the end of that hall. And everybody, when they would come into the office, they would come in the door and they would walk down that linoleum tile down to my office. We didn't have a secretary, you know, back then. Uh, and I, what happened was is that I began to learn the walk of the people. And I would hear the door open, and I would hear somebody coming down the hall, and I would know exactly who it was because of the way in which they were walking. You ever seen that before in your own life? You'll probably think about this week when you're walking somewhere. But we all have that unique walk, and so we're all uniquely different. We've been made differently. God has done that. And listen, on this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we are reminded that life, all life, every life, is precious to the Lord as he has formed and fashioned and created each and, in, each and every person unique. We are to be in awe of God's forming us. But then the second point is that we're also to be in, God, in awe of God's favoring us. Back again in chapter 1, verse 28, we see this, that it tells us here that God blessed them, the, the male and the female, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here, here we see another aspect of mankind's uniqueness. What we see here is that God commanded, commanded man to rule over the rest of the living creation, defining man's relationship to the rest of creation as being above the rest of creation here. And so the first thing that we see here in seeing that God's favoring us is the coronation. The coronation. 
meaning that humanity is indeed God's crowning creation. If you look at in the Psalms, chapter 8, verses 3 through 6, you find these words. He says, when I consider your heavens, the psalmist writes, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. And we talked about that last week, how God who spoke and, and put the, the, created the, the sun and the moon and the stars also. You remember that. And it says, so as we consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? You have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands and you put all things under his feet. John Phillips, in, in his commentary about these verses, he says, How wonderful it is that God, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, is more interested in people than he is in planets. He's more interested in souls than he is in stars. And he's more interested in us than he is in the universe. Amen? Well, that's good. That's how God is. The creation of man was God's crowning creation. He favors man, as the Bible says here in in Psalm 8, that he is mindful of him. He thinks about, he remembers, he brings to mind, he knows us. And when we consider the heaven and the moon and the stars and all of their greatness, who are we that God would know us, would think of us? And yet we see in the scripture and we know that he does know us and he has made us his crowning creation. For we are in awe of God's favoring us in the coronation that we're God's crowning creation. But also we see, secondly, the demonstration of his favor, the demonstration of his favor. If you go back to chapter 2 and verse 18, we find here that the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So what is happening here is that God looks at what he has created in the man and he recognizes that Adam needs a helper companion. And he looks at Adam and he says, boy, you need a wife. Amen. He says, you need a wife. Now, friends, we see in the scripture that God desires what is best for man and he knows what is best for man and he provides what is best for man. Amen. In verses 21 and through 22, it tells us here that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And I'll go further, and it says that, and Adam said, and I think you could insert there, that Adam, when he saw Eve, he went, wow! Amen? Whoa, man, yes, I've heard that too. And that could be the case, but nevertheless... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Now look here, friends. Just as God had intimately formed the man's body, he also forms the woman's body. From Adam's rib, literally that means his side. From Adam's side, God made Eve. Now some, some have said God did not make Eve from his head, suggesting superiority to him. Nor did he make Eve from Adam's feet, suggesting inferiority to him, but rather from his side. 
indicating that this is his companion beside him, equal before the Lord, a team that becomes one flesh that will serve their creator together in unity and singleness of heart, side by side, working together for the glory of God. I like that. Amen? I like that. So we stand in awe of God who is favoring us with the coronation where God's crown and creation, the demonstration that he desires what's best for us, he knows what's best for us, he's providing what's best for us. He saw that Eve was best for Adam here. He needed that helper who was comparable to him. And then we see not only the demonstration, but we also see the dedication. The dedication. Now understand this. We know that God did not stop caring for people at the Garden of Eden. Amen? He cared for Adam and Eve. He cared for them. But it did not stop with Adam and Eve. All through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see a God who loves his people and has a plan for people. If you go back again to Psalm 139, we see that he has a plan for each and every person. When you look at verses 15 through 18, it tells us there, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. In other words, while we're in our mother's womb, God sees us, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me is planned for us, when as yet there were none of them. Now watch this. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And when I'm awake, I'm still with you. Oh, friends, thinking about the thoughts that he has toward us, the plan that God has for us, and how numerous they are, that more so than the number of the sand, that God is thinking about you and has planned out your life and is working in your life. His thoughts to you are innumerable. You know, I came across a little story about Walt Disney released their first full-length animated movie back in 1937. It was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And as they were producing an animated movie in that time frame, it was a huge task. So Disney artists, what they did is they drew over one million pictures. And each picture flashed onto the screen, as you know how animation would work. It would flash onto the screen for a mere one-twenty-fourth of a second. And as it moved along at regular speed, it would, it would, we would, they'd be able to watch the movie. So it, it seems so simple, but when we look at an animation movie, especially those old ones, we have no idea all that goes into it. But friends, listen, if you think about it, our lives are like that movie. God puts infinite thought and skill and careful attention into every detail of our life. Yet as our lives run at regular speed, we have no idea how much God thinks of us every single second and even every piece of every single second. Amen? You have to say, wow, at the awe of God that he cares for us. You see, God has a perfect plan for each and every person because he cares for each of us. Paul David Tripp in his book called All, he says this, that speaking about God, he is the ultimate loving father. We sang about that a minute ago. 
He is the completely faithful friend. He is the one who stays closer than a brother. He alone will never leave you no matter what. He is the one who never sends you without going with you. He is your protector, your guide, your defender, your teacher, your savior, and your healer. He never mocks your weakness, but gives you strength. He never uses your sin against you, but affords you forgiveness. He never plays favorites. He never wants to give up on you. He never gets exhausted with you or wishes that he could quit because of you, but he is never disloyal or even unfaithful. His care is so awesome and so complete that nothing in your life's experience in any way compares because he cares for you. Amen? He cares for you, friends. Oh, but pastor, I hear what you're saying here. But what about when I'm going through those difficult times? What about those trials that I just don't understand? Tell me, pastor, where is God in the midst of those? Does he care? Oh, friend, let me just assure you, our God still cares. Amen? Our God still cares, and he has a plan. We have to think back to Joseph and his life and his many detours that his life took. You remember the story how his brother sold him into slavery? How he was thrown into prison after being falsely accused? The, the journey that Joseph took was a long, painful journey. But God had a plan for him. And we find that he becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt. You know, I also heard about something way more recent. You may have heard about a man by the name of Cliff Barrows. He served as Billy Graham's lifelong associate and crusade song leader. Well, in 1945, before Cliff had met Billy Graham, Barrows and his fiancée had scraped together just enough funds for a simple wedding and two train tickets to a city with a resort hotel. Well, when they arrived there, however, they found that the hotel had shut down. Now, remember, they didn't have cell phones in that day. And so they were stranded in an unfamiliar city with very little money. And so what they do? But they thumbed a ride. A, a sympathetic driver took them to a grocery store owned by a woman that he knew. And the newlyweds spent their first night in a room above the store. I don't suspect that was part of their plan, do you think? Well, the next day, when the lady overheard Cliff playing Christian songs on his trombone, she arranged for them to spend the rest of their honeymoon at a friend's house. Several days later, the host of that house invited them to attend a youth rally where there was a young evangelist who was speaking. Well, the song leader that night at that event was sick, and so Cliff was asked to take charge of the music for the service. And that young evangelist was Billy Graham. And the two had been partners ever since last year when Cliff went home to be with the Lord. Friends, listen. When things are not going the way that you think they should... When things don't go the way that you plan, you need to understand that God has plans for you of his own. And you know something else? And you can trust him. Amen? You can trust the Lord. You may not understand what those plans are and what in the world is he doing. But friends, when you're placing your trust in Jesus, your trust in him, you can trust he's got a plan for your life. Rest in him. And let him guide you all the way. Amen. You will not regret it. Amen. Amen. So let's be in awe of God's favor in us, his crowning creation. Think, just, just think of it.
that the creator of the universe, the creator of the universe, knows you by name. He knows all there is to know about you because he created you in your mother's womb. He has known you. He knows what's best for you. He has a plan for you. And he will keep you in his mind, thinking many thoughts towards you. And he loves you unconditionally. Wow. The awe of God. Amen? The awe of God. So we are to be in awe at God's forming us and God's favoring us. And then finally, the third point is God's fixing us. What are you talking about, preacher? What's wrong with me? What do, I need, what do I have that needs to be fixed? What do you know about me that needs to be fixed? Well, friends, I don't know, you know what your issue is, but I can tell you this. The same thing is the same for you as it is for me, as it is for all of us. The same thing that's wrong with everybody, and that's a three-letter word called sin. That's what's wrong. But you know what? God can fix us. In the early days of the automobile, there was a man who was driving a Model T Ford. And as he was driving this Model T Ford, it stalled in the middle of the road. He couldn't get it started no matter how hard he cranked or how much he tried to advance the, the spark or adjust things under the hood. Well, just as he's trying his best to try to get this thing sh- uh, started, there, a limousine pulled up and, a, and uh, up behind him, chauffeured by you know, somebody. And in the back seat of that limousine was a wiry, energetic man who came from the back seat, offered his assistance. So he came over to the Model T. He started tinkering for a few minutes. And then the stranger said, who was from the limousine, he said to the guy who owned the Model T, he said, now try it. And as he did, immediately the engine leaped to life. Well, that well-dressed individual then identified himself as Henry Ford. He said to the man, I designed and built these cars, so I know what to do when something goes wrong. And friends, you want to know something? God, as our creator, knows how to fix us as our lives are broken by sin. Amen? He's our creator. He knows all about us. He knows what we need to be fixed and to have our lives fixed that have been broken by sin. And so we see three things real quick. First is the problem, which is the contamination. The contamination. In Genesis chapter 3, we're not going to read that. You can read that on your own. But in Genesis chapter 3, we find that the devil, in the form of a serpent, tempted Eve to disobey God and take of the fruit that God had strictly forbidden, but she ate and gave it to Adam, and they sinned. And when they rebelled against God, then sin contaminated them and the whole world. And so from that moment until now, we live in a sin-cursed, a sin-sick, a sin-contaminated world. That's why, friends, we have what we have on TV when you're looking out and the world seems to be a mess. What's well, a mess? Because of sin. Amen? That's why we have to deal with things like disease. That's why we have to deal with stuff like pain and suffering and death. That came as a result of sin. And that beautiful relationship that God had with Adam was broken when sin came, when they sinned against God. Because as God is holy... He cannot be, holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. In Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2, it tells us there, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. And so we see that that's what, the the sin is what broke that relationship, but we also need to understand that we're all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's the thing. Because God desires for us to return to him and to be in that relationship with him, he has provided the fix. 
He has provided the way for us to, to come back to Him, to be in that relationship with Him, and we see that in the salvation. Salvation. You see, apart from God's salvation, friends, we would be forever separated from God, and we would perish in a literal place called hell for all of eternity when we die. But God, because of His love for us, He sent His Son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin and to make us right with holy God. In Romans 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, But God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So because we believe, if we believe in Jesus, we know that Jesus went to the cross, rising bodily from the grave, we will be saved. He is our salvation. You must turn to Him in repentance and believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for you and who rose again. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God's raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation is through Jesus. And as we turn and believe, the third point is this, is that there is now the reconciliation. The reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, friends, that which was broken in the Garden of Eden is now fixed through Jesus Christ. If you will just trust him and believe in him, turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus as Savior. You see, friends, that relationship, that reconciliation is what our creator desires of us. That we walk in fellowship with him and to be restored to that place that Adam originally had with God. But it only comes when we say yes to Jesus, God's son, who came and took our penalty, our place upon the cross, and died there in our place. Believing he did that for us and that he rose again bodily from the grave. It's God's fix from the contamination of sin. And we have that relationship restored through Jesus Christ. Wow. The awe of God. Amen? The awe of God. So there's two things to do. Two things to do. The first one is to realize. Realize that you are loved by your creator. Realize that you are loved by your creator. No matter who you are, you're loved by your creator. When you're looking in that mirror, either tonight or in the morning, chances are you're going to look in that mirror at some point. When you look in the mirror, you need to think about this and realize that God made you, that God knows you, that God cares about you, that God has a plan for you, and that God walks with you. That he really does care about the person you see in the mirror. Now, when you look in the mirror, you may be thinking to yourself, there's no way that a God in heaven could love somebody like me. There's no way that God could ever forgive someone like me. But friends, God doesn't see you the way you see you. He sees you as a child, his child that he created, that is calling to love him and to live with him and to honor him and to worship him and to be reconciled to him. He sees you differently. Realize that. But not only that, friends, but let us also realize to realize that every life, as it is Sanctity of Human Life Day, 
that every life is indeed precious. All life is sacred. And I'd be amiss if I did not remind you that you need to support your local crisis pregnancy center and also to pray for our nation and pray that people will have their eyes open to see the atrocity of abortion today, realizing that God is the creator of all life and that all life is indeed precious to him. So realize that you're loved by your creator. And then secondly, reconcile. Be reconciled to God. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you are not reconciled to your Creator. You need to be reconciled by knowing Jesus as the Lord and Savior of life, to have that relationship with your Creator God. It only comes through our Savior, Jesus Christ, to be reconciled to God. Take the step of faith and turn to Him in faith today, acknowledging that we're sinners in need of a Savior turning from that sin and turning to Jesus in repentance, saying, Lord, I'm sorry for all that I've done. Believing, embracing with all your heart that Jesus is God's Son who died on the cross and rose again bodily from the grave for you and profess Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Because here's what you need to know, that He is the God who loves you, who forgives you, no matter who you are, no matter what your sin, He still is willing to call out to you as He is and to fix you, and to save you, and to give you hope. Come to him today because he desires what's best for you, he knows what's best for you, and he provides what's best for you. And here's what's best for you. His name is Jesus. Amen? That's what's best for you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, friend, God knows desires for you what's best, he knows what's best, and he provides what's best, and he's provided Jesus. You need to know him as the Lord and Savior of your life. And friend, if you're a Christian today, you know the Lord Jesus as Savior, but maybe you're going through some struggles, going through some difficulties in life. You need to stand in awe of God who is your creator and come back to that fact that what's best for you is always Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you for all that you have done for us. Lord, how you, are, you have brought the fix for us through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can be made right in your sight, be reconciled to you, our Creator. We praise you and honor you, and we're reminded of how you favor us, how you have a plan for us, how, Lord, you, have, uh, you walk with us, you care about us, you think many thoughts as the, the number of the sand on the seashore. You think those thoughts toward us. We're reminded of that favor toward us. And we're reminded, Lord, in all of you, how you have formed us and created us the way we are. Lord, I pray that you would continually move in our hearts and lives to be all that you desire for us to be according to your word as your children. So, Lord, if there are those here today who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life, may this be that moment of salvation where they say yes to Jesus to come into their lives and be the Lord of their life. For those of us who do know you as Lord and Savior, there'd also be a time of us of re- refreshing and renewal, being reminded again of who you are and what you've done and how you walk with us and care for us and love us unconditionally. Lord, may you have your way in every heart and life as we come to this invitation. We ask in Jesus' name.